How do trauma survivors learn to love themselves? Hi, welcome to an important conversation here on Business Mindset Mastery. My name's Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And today it seems especially important for today's question to also remind you that I am a clinically trained therapist with 20 years of experience. I'm talking about a rather sensitive topic, and it's important to me that my listeners know that I come from a clinically trained background in it, you know. I think sometimes when we identify ourselves as coaches um, in a land where anyone can be a coach, it's sometimes important and necessary to say, hey, I have a clinical degree to back up what I'm saying. I have the experience and the training to offer an informed professional opinion on the question that's coming at me today. I also, too, want to say that it's a sensitive topic. We're talking about trauma and abuse, specifically how do you survive it and get past childhood trauma and abuse. And if that's not your bag, today's episode probably isn't your thing. If you don't feel like you're in the headspace to talk about that and have a hard conversation, feel free to just go a couple episodes back, pick a lighter topic, or move on to a different show altogether that um, is better suiting your mood. I also, too, in transparency, want to like say, you know, it's probably something that's a little obvious that when we're talking about such deep interpersonal work, I am not going to cover this thing in a single podcast episode. But I also think sometimes people over-exaggerate and overthink and overanalyze what deep interpersonal work means and can look like. I do think sometimes we can break it down into specific bite-sized snackable action steps that aren't intimidating, that aren't overwhelming, and don't involve being in therapy for years and years and years. So use that as the frame for the conversation today and for your understanding of it. And if it's not your thing or today's not a good time for it, don't have the conversation with me. You can always go back at another time or just skip it and move on altogether. So with that said, let's with uh, sensitive ears and awareness, let's just dive into today's question. Heather, I found out about you from your article on Goldcast about talking back to the hater in your head. I tried to find more of your articles and stumbled upon your podcast, and I'm so thankful you answer listener questions on your show. This question might come with a bit of a trigger warning for your listeners as you read the question, so I wanted to say that first. My question is this, how are trauma survivors supposed to believe in themselves? The voice of the hater in my head is not my own, it's my mom's. I'm a survivor of her verbal and physical abuse of me and also somehow raised myself through years of her neglect. I am nobody's victim. I'm a proud black woman. I got myself to college and grad school. I have my MBA. I made it so I will never be hungry or want for anything again. Alexis sits in my two-car garage and I'm writing this from my backyard where I can see my pool and tennis court. I have the money and profession that garnishes respect, everyone's but my own. I look like the picture of success, but inside, I still hear her calling me trash. I've had more therapists and more hours of therapy than I can count, and still, when I'm in my high-end bathroom and under my high-end rain shower, I still feel dirty, broken, and insignificant. I've done all the things. I've hustled. I've taken action. I've arrived by almost everyone else's standards but my own. Inside, I'm still unworthy, not enough, and a total fraud. It's like I know the truth about myself, and I'm just waiting for everyone else 
to find out. I've read enough personal development books, attended enough retreats, and listened to enough motivational talks to know this thinking doesn't serve me, but I can't seem to erase it from my being. What I'm wondering what I'm missing, where I should start, and how can I really put this past me? Okay, first, <laughs> let's sit with this deep question. Let's just take a deep breath and recognize that this is an incredibly vulnerable um, share that you offered me. And I just want you to know that I respect it. I'm going to carefully keep it and hold it as well as I can. Um, it feels really insignificant right now to be a podcast host. It honestly feels like you and I should be in the same room together <laughs> having this conversation. So what I'm going to say is that we're jumping into the middle of a solution. This work isn't going to be done without professional support, so I'm going to urge you to try professional support again. And if after hearing me out in my response to this question, if you think you and I would be a good fit, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you to schedule a call with me. And I think that you need some help company, companionship, and probably an informed professional to guide you through some of these steps. And that would be true to anyone else listening who shares your story and shares your struggle. But I do want to give you some hope. I do want to give you some direction and some ideas on where this can go, because I feel as though you probably think you've been sitting in it for so long and you've read all the books, done all the therapy, talked to all the people that you're probably feeling kind of hopeless. I think that that's understandable. And I've met a lot of people at your place who have kind of like feel like they've done everything to get past their past and still it's nipping at their toes, biting at their soul and haunting them in ways that are simply unimaginable. I get it. But you have to accept that in order to get to that place of believing in yourself, of moving past your mom's trauma and abuse that she inflicted on you, you're going to have to choose to do more work. It doesn't come with me just simply answering this question on a podcast. My intuition about you and your question and how thoughtfully it was written is that you know that, but I just want you to hear it. And I want you to know as you listen to me that I'm offering a handout that I'm happy to do this work with you. I'll put the link in my show notes and you can decide from there. So with that said, let's just dive in. The first thing that I want you to think about, given all the hours of therapy, given all the people you've talked to, all the different perspectives you've taken on this issue, I'm wondering if you've asked yourself, what do you have to lose if you stop hating yourself? Because I think a lot of times with trauma survivors in particular, the answer is always find your confidence, learn to talk back to the hater. That's the article you read, and I'm sure it was wildly insufficient in answering the problem and struggle you were having. But we don't often encourage people to look at, well, if you do start liking yourself again, if you do start believing in yourself, what do you lose? And what do you let go of? What compromise comes with feeling pride in your accomplishment? What are you going to have to let go of? Or maybe what are you going to have to accept? Because here's the thing. The story of your past is probably the last remnants that you can identify yourself with. 
that you have erased everything else. You've erased the neglect. You've erased the being hungry. You have a slick car in your driveway. You have the fancy house. You have the job. You have the respect of other people. You have probably the admiration and maybe even the jealousy of other people. The only thing that you have that reminds you of anywhere of where you've been, where you've come from, or how far you've come, is this old story of yourself. What happens and what does it mean to you if you let that go? Do you feel recognizable to yourself? Do you feel like you know who you are? So many people who hold on to these old tarnished stories of themselves do it because without it, they have no idea where they are in the world or who they are because their story for so long defines them. And if that's not their story anymore, if they've overcome that, if they've gotten to the other side of it, while everyone wants that for them, it can be so scary, so lonely, and so isolating to feel unrecognizable to yourself. So if that's part of what's got you gripped in the past, then that's an area worth exploring. The other thing tied to this is your relationship with your mom. I, you haven't mentioned in this letter whether or not you're still talking to her, whether you have any contact with her whatsoever. But one of the things back in the day in residential, when I worked with out-of-control teenagers and acting out behaviors, one of the things that I would say about kids who were choosing dysfunctional behaviors is if they can't get positive attention, they'll get negative attention because negative attention is better than no attention. And I think sometimes when you're thinking about broken and tarnished relationships in your life, if you start to come up with the idea that this woman had no idea what she was talking about, she had no business treating you the way she did, that her actions and her behavior was more a reflection of her own inabilities, her own ineptness, then you lose out on everything. If the dysfunction in your relationship with your mom is the only thing you still have, it makes sense to me that you're going to hold on to it because that's all you've got. And you get one mother, you get one, you know, one, one chance at this. And if this is all you have, letting go of that is going to come with grief and loss and you may not have gotten ready for that. You may not have prepared yourself for that because that comes with a layer of acceptance and a layer of letting go. And you just might not be there yet. That, that might be one of the things that's keeping you stuck. So you might want to give that part and that aspect some thought and consideration as you work through why this is gripping you. I don't want to say why this is still gripping you. Notice that I left that word out. Um, I haven't looked at your letter closely enough to see if you included the word still, but I do want to take a moment here with trauma survivors to talk about the idea that a lot of times people say, I should be over this by now. Why does this still bother me? Why is this still an issue in my life when I've overcome so much, when I've chosen so many other things. And I think that that puts a time expectation on when you should be over it by now. And it doesn't always work like that because part of it is really coming to a place of acceptance that at some point in time, this was your life. This was your reality. 
and this was your truth and you didn't deserve it and it made things in your future harder to to obtain harder to connect on harder to achieve that this is a part of your story and you are having a normal and natural reaction to an abnormal series of events it was your normal to be abused mistreated taken advantage of verbally hurt, physically hurt, and neglected. But it is not normal to grow up that way. And you are having a normal reaction to your abnormal childhood. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. It makes sense to me that because you were hurt for so many years, so repetitively, so often, that in your adulthood, even when the rest of your life is unrecognizable to you, you still think about things that make you feel unworthy, that make you feel embarrassed and ashamed. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. And that is a normal reaction to have. Sometimes one of the things that gets in the way of healing is that people don't give themselves permission to believe that part to believe that it's normal to think of yourself as less than when somebody in your childhood told you that you were less than. Because intellectually, you know that whatever your mom's limitations was, right? Because healthy, competent individuals don't randomly start abusing their kids. So my guess is that she was largely dysfunctional herself. She had her own series of hard times with life she had her own reasons for, you know, treating her child the way that she treated you. We don't, I don't know that story. I'm not going to presume to know that story, but she has her own history that then impacted your history. That's not a normal series of events. And so when you have an abnormal childhood, you're going to struggle in adulthood, beginning, middle, and end. It's a tough truth. It's tough to swallow. A lot of times I think that like we just think, like you said, I've read all the books. I've done all the therapy. I just need to accept that like this is what happened and that this is you know my life, but it's not my life anymore, and I can just be grateful for that and move on. When people find that that's not that easy, sometimes there's a, a piece here around acceptance that needs to get addressed and dealt with and um, faced head on a little bit. But that also means the grieving piece. And a lot of times when people have sort of overcome their past and gotten to the other side of it, they don't want to do that acceptance piece. And they sure as heck don't want to do the grieving piece. Why would they want to take themselves down that rabbit hole? But if they've never done it, it haunts them. If you never grieve for the childhood you deserved, if you never grieve for the relationship with your mother that you deserved, then you're never going to get to things on the other side. You're not going to get to that place of hope and healing that can exist for you. The next thing that I want you to think about is have you updated your story of yourself? This is something that I often, when I find myself stuck in the past and when I find myself on my own um, like weird wobbles and whatever. Um, excuse me, I have to cough. <laughs> Sorry, I knew I was going to get distracted trying not to cough. Um, everybody keeps sending me these notes about editing my cough out of the podcast and I keep responding. I'm not taking the time to edit a daily podcast. Um, 
But have you updated your story of yourself? Have you um, recognized that at one point in time you were A and then you were B? You used to think this, but now you think that. You used to act in this way, but now you do these things instead. You used to believe, and now you think. A lot of times when people find themselves stuck in their old stories about themselves, they don't update their current version of themselves. They don't sort of say, oh, I used to be somebody who, but now I'm somebody that. We don't take the time to mindfully and with intention reflect on the growth we've had, the ways that we've changed, how we've become the people we've become. Um, And, you know, so an example of this, you know, for me, I don't know how much of my show you've listened to. Um, It sounds like you just found me from this article, but um, I've shared another episode of this show that I recently did a cross-country move from Boston to California. And before that move, I absolutely had a story about myself that I was awesome, that I was capable, that I was a badass, and I was driven. But attached to that story was also a caveat um, sort of a, a, a requirement. I was only those things because I had people who believed in me. I have a fierce tribe of women who love me like nobody else. I have connections and relationships where it just, you know, I, the way I described it for myself is I always feel like I'm a toddler, that I can go off into the great big beyond. I can dare greatly. I can put myself in the arena so long as I can look back and see my people and my people tell me it's okay, you can keep going. So when I did this move, I didn't think I was capable of leaving my people. I didn't think I was capable of achieving greatness without my people close by. I'd just never been more than two hours away from them before. So I really, truly believed it was all going to go to hell in a handcart without them by me. What I've learned is that's not true that the strength and the ability um, to persevere exists without physical immediate distance, that I still have those relationships and they can still carry me 3,000 miles apart. I didn't at the time think that that was true. I've now learned that it's true. So when I get scared and when I feel small and when I want to play it safe or I feel a little inept, I have to remind myself that even though I don't physically see my people, even though I can't count the last time I had coffee with one of my girlfriends, I still have those relationships. I still have everything I've learned from them. So that's, you know, it's not true anymore for me. It can no longer be my story that I'm only this strong, this capable because of my people. I have to mindfully and intentionally update that version of myself. Otherwise, every time I'm about to dare greatly, anytime I'm about to try something new, I'm going to immediately go, but I'm all by myself. I can't do it. Um, We start to define ourselves by those old stories. And sometimes other people define us by our old stories and our way of moving through the world. And they don't give us permission 
to update our stories of ourselves or um, believe in ourselves differently or be more capable. So the first thing I want you to do is do a little bit of an inventory. (laughs) If you've therapied yourself to death, if you've personally developed yourself to death, somewhere in your house, you probably have a journal. So (laughs) I don't often prescribe journaling as an exercise, but I think that this is a really good opportunity to do one where like you can update your story about yourself. Now that this has all happened, now that you've achieved all of this, who are you now? What do you believe? What do you think? What are your values? What have you stopped believing? What are you willing to let go of? Now that you were here in this place, now that you were someone who chooses to like herself, who are you? What fears are you currently carrying? What fears have you let go of? What goals do you still have now that you've accomplished all of this? Now that you've achieved all of this, what's left for you? Because you're probably not done yet, but that concept is probably a little foreign to you because you're so used to just getting to the other side, doing the next thing, getting past you know, whatever it is you need to get past. So now you think you should be done. Not so much. You're still in the middle of the book. So this chapter can end. Update yourself. Update the story of yourself. And then start to write the at least the outline, the goals, the structure, the vision, the bulleted list of things you would still like to accomplish for yourself. The other thing I want to remind you of here, or maybe hopefully it's a reminder, but it might be education. I don't think all therapists and all personal development specialists um, talk about this, but sometimes one of the things that happens for people with trauma response is that they end up with body memories of traumatic responses and traumatic thoughts. It becomes an automatic habit. So um, I'm trying to think of a good body memory exercise. Um, And the one that always comes to mind is like people with glasses will be used to kind of pushing their glasses up their nose, um, you know, when it starts to slide. So sometimes if they switch to contacts, even though they're not wearing glasses, they'll find that their hand moves to their nose and they're, you know, moving their imaginary glasses up their nose. Um, things like that, but if and you're not if you're not sure about body memory, muscle memory, um, just do a quick Google search. Everything's <laughs> everything's Googleable these days, and you can find a little bit more what I mean here. But where I'm going with this, and what I want you to learn and understand here, is sometimes those negative, critical thoughts. You don't actually think about yourself. You don't actually hold the opinion that you're dirty, that you're trash, that you're worth nothing. Because honestly, a lot of your behaviors indicate to me that you thought you were worthy of something because you sure as hell fought to build yourself a life. So you at least thought on some primal core level that you were worthy and deserving of more because you chose to go after it. Some people might say that you were running away from who you were, you were putting up the facade, you were puffing up by chasing the Lexus and the premium showers and the tennis court and the job that everybody liked. But it's not really my experience and observations that people who think they're incapable of such things or undeserving of such things can kind of overcome all of that and achieve the level of success that you have. So on some level, I do 
think you have, have a primal survival instinct, a cord of drive and ambition that's getting you to where you've been. But some of the negative thoughts might be opting in um, sort of moving through the world on automatic pilot. So the example I've given on the show when I talk about this in the past is something like September 11th. For me, no matter how many years pass, no matter how many, you know, sort of memories we go through, how many sort how much space happens between now and September 11th, anytime it's a sunny Tuesday in September, I have an automatic body memory to 9-11 because I just remember what a beautiful day it was, how, how just pretty and perfect that day started out before it all went to hell in a handcart. So it's going to be a normal automatic thought. Um, muscle memory. It happens out of habit. I'm not conscious that I'm doing it, but I have that thought. Another example of this is I used to be, um, I think I've shared this example on the show before, so I don't want to go into the whole long story of it, but I used to have a fear of a tunnel um, back in Massachusetts driving through the specific tunnel. And I used to like sort of grip my teeth and assume the position as I approached this tunnel. And then when my husband was hurt, his hospital was right on the other side of that tunnel. So I couldn't avoid the tunnel anymore. I couldn't dodge it. I needed to face it. Um, And finally I did and I got through the tunnel and I learned to navigate it with confidence. Years and years later, I saw the entry of the tunnel as I was in the car talking to a girlfriend and suddenly I lowered the radio, assumed the position, set my jaw and clenched my hands on the steering wheel. I wasn't nervous and I wasn't scared of the tunnel anymore, but it was this automatic visceral body memory I had to seeing the tunnel. So if part of what's happening for you that anytime you try something new, anytime you put yourself out there, anytime you start thinking about your life or building your life or improving on your life, you may simply have an automatic thought that's just cued out of muscle and body memory. And the way we want to undo that thought, the way we want to attack it, go after it, untangle it, and remove it from your consciousness is every single time you start to have those thoughts to literally talk back to them, to literally say, right now, my body is reacting to this. It thinks that, but what's actually happening is this. There's nothing wrong with this. I'm perfectly fine. I deserve this. I'm worthy. I've worked for this. Nothing has been handed to me. I have fought for it. Come up with your own mantra. Come up with your own response. But what's happening is your brain is automatically wired to think A, B, and C. And those thoughts at this point could just be automatic words that you're not actually absorbing. It's just the automatic thought you have every time you find yourself in that situation because your brain has been trained to go there um, from an early age. We have to undo that wiring a little bit so that that means you're going to have to be really conscious and really aware in those moments to not engage in the negative thinking, to distract yourself from the negative thought, to not give it oxygen and energy. Because some of the things that happen sometimes is we have the automatic thought that we're not worthy. We think we're not good enough. So then we feed it and we start collecting all the examples of the ways we're not good enough, all the ways we're less than, all the ways we failed. 
and we just further set ourselves up to fail. So what you have to do is with mindful intention, talk back to that thought, talk back to that inner critic with the specific, measurable, observable proof that those things aren't true and why they're not true. Because we can't just, you know, you've heard me say this before, probably um, it was in the article, we can't kumbaya our way through fear. We have to go to war. And going to war means we're going to talk back to it. Going to war means we're going to argue it. We're not going to settle for negative, trashy views of ourselves when we can choose a more positive path of faith and hope. But you can't Again, we can't just mantra our way to it. We can't just sit in a moment of zen and get there. We have to, with deliberate intention, have a new repetitive thought that retrains our brain and retrains our body to think differently about these unfamiliar situations. The next thing that I you know, want you to do a little bit of a gut check about, so that journal is going to come in handy again, um, but I want you to look a little bit at where in your life, because I, I hear very clearly that you've accomplished a lot. You have a good career. You feel, you know, you, you hit the milestones, but, you know, that doesn't matter to me because you still feel like crap. So I don't really care about the Lexus in the car because it doesn't sound like you, <laughs> you had the Lexus in the car. I don't care about the Lexus in your drive because it doesn't sound like you particularly care about the Lexus in your driveway. At some point in time, you thought that was going to be the answer to feeling like crap and you're realizing it doesn't. Um, So that's not your thing. So we have to find your thing. We have to find the thing that actually you do care about, that you do have value in. That is important to you. So I need you to grab that journal again and I want you to do a little bit of a self-inventory in ways that you're holding yourself back, ways that you're playing small, ways that you're playing it safe, ways that you're censoring yourself, where in your world and in your life you might be editing yourself, where might you be holding back growth because you've asked yourself or told yourself, what's the point? Why would I continue to go for more, try for more, do something different when at the end of the day, I'm still gonna feel like crap? But part of holding yourself back and part of editing yourself and censoring yourself or not taking action on dreams you have for yourself or wishes or things you'd like to have accomplished is you keep yourself in that old story of not worthy, undeserving, even if you're under your nice fancy rain shower, even if you're driving in your fancy car with the roof down, you're still contributing to this idea that you don't get to have more that you are somehow contributing to this argument that you've gotten enough. You should be happy with what you have. And sometimes people who are consciously or subconsciously holding themselves back, they're doing that because of that old thought pattern. But if they disrupt the thought pattern by going for more, by reaching for the sun, by saying, yep, not good enough. I'm capable of more, so I'm going to go for it. Sometimes that's what unravels the old stories that you've tied yourself so tightly to, that you've committed to. So I just do a gut check. And, you know, I might be on a baseball field right now while you're playing football. It may not be in the same neck of the woods as you, but just like, just do the check anyway. See if you, 
if there's anything there that resonates. Um, because sometimes, and honestly, usually there is something to that story. Um, the other thing that I think is important, especially for people who have kind of done the personal journey work before, who have talked to the therapist, hired the coaches, read the books, gone to the trainings, is that we have to remind ourselves that even though that critic no longer serves us, at some point in time, it had a purpose. And it kept you in fight or flight mode, right? You use that sense of danger to keep yourself safe in your childhood. You use that as a way to survive and to get through it, to constantly be aware of threats, to always be aware of risks. You probably had a hypervigilant fight or flight response. A lot of people who succeed through trauma, who raise themselves, live in a state where that fight or flight freeze response doesn't actually ever that button doesn't turn off. It's in a permanent state of on. And when it's in a permanent state of on, you have those habitual thoughts about risk, about um, potential threats to happiness, that something's going to get taken away because you're, you're a little bit biologically wired by your early childhood trauma to think like that and respond that way. So again, this is just another reminder that it's a normal reaction to a series of abnormal events in your childhood, but we do have to get you comfortable with turning that button off. Because my guess is, is when you're sitting in the backyard and you're watching the waves on the pool kind of ripple and you see the sun shining on your fancy car or you're in that super nice bathroom, that feels scary as anything. That does not feel safe. That does not feel secure because you in your upbringing with your childhood, safety, stability, security, that's the threat. That's the risk. That's the rug that's getting pulled out from under you. As soon as you start to think that you're going to eat three days in a row, that's when you miss a meal and a meal gets taken from you. Or just when nobody's been cruel to you in two and a half days, that's when somebody's going to come after you with a one-liner that's going to bring you to your knees. So part of what's happening for you is that the inner critic and the self-hating comments and hearing your mother's voice in your head, that is in your mind and with your experience, probably a little bit, and I'm not exaggerating this or saying this to be dramatic, but it's probably a little bit of what's keeping you alive. Because in your mind, security feels really scary. That's when it all goes to hell in a handcart. As soon as it's calm, as soon as it's stable, you're going to feel sort of at risk because your normal is that state of fight, flight, or freeze. So we have to get you cueing your body in the moments of calm, talking yourself off the ledge by saying, I've built myself a secure life. I've created a life for myself where money is not something I have to worry about, where food is not something I have to worry about. It's okay to be calm. Sure, life is going to disrupt this. Sure, I'm going to face challenges. Things unexpected are going to come my way, but I have proven over and over again what I am capable of. And I'm going to continue to be capable of doing those things. But you have to cue your body and tune your body into the idea that not being in fight, flight, or freeze mode is okay, that it's safe 
that it's normal because that is where your vulnerability lives. Because we all know, those of us who have seen our fair share of life know that it never stays that way. Something does inevitably come that disrupts us. Something does interrupt our thought process, our way of thinking and moving through the world that feels challenging and overwhelming. And I know that's going to happen for you too. And you know that's going to happen for you too. So you have to tune your body into believing and seeing that calm is okay because that you know from your own personal experience and your own personal observations that when it's not calm anymore, you'll make it okay and you'll set it right that you are capable of solving the problem, that you can attend to the risk. You can attend to the risk. You don't have to stay in that fight, flight, or freeze response, but you're going to have to train your brain because after all these years, your brain is trained to the opposite response. So it's going to just come with some mindful intention and recognizing that sometimes you're going to, you know, that fear, that fight, fight, flight, you know, um, freeze response that's biological. We're wired that way. So when you feel it, you're going to have to physically talk back to it and say, it's okay. I've got this. I know you're worried. I know you're anxious, but I see you. I see that you're trying to warn me of danger, but I'm confident. I've got this. I'll figure it out. It's going to be okay. You might have to, with mindful intention, do some of that work because it's not your habit to think that way. Your subconscious habit is to think that it all goes to hell in a handcart as soon as the wind blows. So the next thing I want you to do, hey, you get to put the journal aside. Isn't that fun? Um, the next thing I want you to do um, is, and this is a personal exercise, and uh, I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to, you know, sort of just get yourself in the space to really hear it. Um, I am trusting that you reached out to me for a reason that tells me you're ready to do this, because this thing that I'm going to ask you to do and ask the other listeners joining you in this conversation to do is to find a picture of your younger self, to find a picture of the six-year-old girl who didn't know when her next meal was coming, who was afraid to sleep at night, who was riddled with nightmares, who was hurt and abused. I I think a lot of times when people survive their past, they don't give themselves the physical, visible reminders of their past. But so much of the inner hating critic in your head right now is that little girl who has just never gotten the love and attention that she deserves. So when you think critical thoughts, when you beat yourself up, I want you to think about the thoughts you're having and recognize that that's the six-year-old girl in you having them who didn't have a mom saying, no, that's not true, honey, you're capable of anything, who never heard, like, I love you no matter what. It's okay to get dirty. It's okay to fall. It's okay to fail. It's okay to not know. Because your inner critic is beating the shit out of that little girl. And we got to get her to stop. Because the adult version of you is capable of taking care of her. And if you recognize that every time you think a mean, nasty thought, you are beating up that little girl, I think you'll stop. But you need a physical, visible, measurable, observable piece of proof that tells you to do that. So I want you to get it. Find a picture of your younger self. 
carry it with you everywhere, all the time. And when you're having those hating thoughts, pull the picture out and see if you can tell those thoughts to that little girl. And then ask yourself, what would you rather that little girl hear? Because you are capable of helping that little girl heal and overcome the awful negative beginning of her life. You can tell her of what, what's possible, what she's capable of, what she's someday going to achieve, what she's going to learn, what she's going to figure out. And by taking care of that little girl better than you're taking care of yourself right now, you in your adult body with your adult mind will start to heal. I promise you, it's a really emotional exercise. I've done it with therapy clients. I've done it with coaching clients. And usually I get a lot of resistance at the beginning because it is so emotional and feels so personal. So I want to make sure that you get yourself in the headspace. And I also want to remind you of my offer to do this with you, that this is a very deeply, very personal um, exercise and I can do this work with you. You don't have to do it alone. I also want you, as you you know, still get back in touch with that six-year-old girl, I want you to recognize all of the unmet needs that you lived with. Because as kids, as adults, we all need things. We deserve unconditional love. We need to know that we're going to be fed, that when we fall, someone's going to take care of us, that we're capable of getting back up. The basic human needs, those are the things that you lived without because your mom was not capable. She wanted to maybe, perhaps she didn't even want to, perhaps you know, she never even saw herself as somebody who was capable of taking care of you. I don't know what her story or circumstance is, but regardless of why, your mom was incapable of taking care of you. But that doesn't mean you don't still need to have those needs met. Your mom and her, her, like that relationship again, I don't know where you stand, but she's likely to this day an empty well for that. You're thirsty for the unmet needs and you can't go back to her. But I'm wondering, is there anybody else in your life that you could go back to or go to for that mentorship, for that love, for the companionship, for the support that your mom was incapable of meeting? Because here's the thing about unmet needs. Just because the person who's sort of designated in charge of meeting them can't doesn't mean we stop needing them. So part of that acceptance and part of that grief work I talked about at the beginning of the show is finding the acceptance of recognizing my mom is incapable, but I'm going to find somebody who is. And sometimes that comes in the form of a therapist. Sometimes that comes in the form of an older mentor. For me, at one point in time, it was my supervisor at my job. So you can find those people anywhere, but give yourself permission to have someone else meet the needs that your mom was incapable of. Because a lot of times that inner critic 
is just that six-year-old child crying and saying, I need, I want, will it ever be my turn? Do I ever get to have? And oftentimes when parents are the people who have hurt us, it's hard to like imagine that any other adult would care enough or um, you know, be concerned enough to give it a shot to take care of us. But if we put ourselves out there and we live in that vulnerability, that need sometimes can get met. And I, I'm wondering a little bit about the timing of this question. It could just be purely coincidental, but I got to tell you that here in the United States, um, we're almost at Mother's Day, right? And that's a, that's a trigger emotional time. I used to joke with people that my dream job <laughs> was um, writing um, Hallmark cards for dysfunctional families. Mom, you were never there for me. But even though <laughs> you were never there for me and I had to figure it out myself, I need to acknowledge you on this Mother's Day. So this is me acknowledging you. Thanks. Bye. Or, you know, something like that. Because I feel like that the Mother's Day, you know, all of the hoopla, the... the it just, it hurts people who never had it, um, who read the cards in the Hallmark aisle. Um, you know, mom, you were always there for me. No, mom, you were never there for me. Mom, you, you know, you were always the person I could call. No, mom, you, you were never a person I would even want to call. Um, that it's like a painful reminder over and over again. So I also too, just want to remind your, you, um, because this is probably something you're blowing off and not paying attention to, but that for people who didn't have healthy relationships with their moms, like this is going to be a triggered time. This is going to be one of those times that just brings this crap up. So just be gentle with yourself. Be kind to yourself. See if you can sort of reach out and connect to the mother-like figures in your life. And if you can't, just mother the hell out of that six-year-old girl who never got what she deserved. Like, take care of her, but recognize that you just have to be a little kinder to yourself. And I'm not a very woo person, and as soon as I start talking about making space and being gentle, people think someone's come and say, you know, it's been invasion of the body snatchers. But just treat yourself with compassion recognize that like this might just be a week that sucks for you when all the garbage comes out and you need to deal with it and it won't always feel this way and mother's day doesn't last for long especially in this land they're going to be moving on to the next holiday before um the week is out so just be you know just be conscious and aware of that for yourself and you know i i could go on and on right and i promised you at the beginning of this podcast episode i acknowledge that i can't solve this in a single podcast episode. Um, And I'm not going to try to, but I do want to remind you of a core belief that I have that at any point in time, you get to say, this is not how my story will end. Beginning, middle, and end. I think that when people have habitually thought of themselves as less than, when they've played small, when they haven't thought themselves capable, they just think this is the way it's always going to be. That, you know, at some point in time, I've heard people say to me, well, the respect of others is going to just have to be enough, or I'm just going to have to accept about myself that I'm always going to think that I'm fat, ugly, stupid. Um, No, not true. I still, at the end of the day, think that that kind of thinking is a choice. You may not know how to stop thinking these awful thoughts about yourself. You may not 
have this specific path, you and I, again, um, I'm raising my hand out here, may have to do some work on that. Um, but no, you get to choose at any point in time that your story does not end with this broken, mixed up version of life that your mother has handed you. You can rewrite it. You're learning, and I think you're sitting in the reality based on how you wrote this letter to me, that your answer doesn't lie in the Lexus or in the fancy bathroom or on that tennis court in your backyard or even in the pool. The pool sounds nice. Um, you're going to have to find it somewhere else. And uh, that's a journey. And sometimes it feels lonely and you might feel lost and scared. Just hold on to the little girl, the little girl in you who doesn't think she can. See everything you're capable of and remind yourself to your bones that this is not how your story is going to end. Anybody who's listening, who's joining with you in this uh, journey of recovering is in it with you. I really appreciate you reaching out to me with such a personal story. I certainly hope that my answer here today helps you. And I'm just wishing you nothing but the best. And I want you to go to the show notes. I want you to click that link and please accept my offer to help. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks to everyone listening in and tuning in. And um, I am really proud of what we're doing here today. Um, I'm really proud of the community we're building on this show, the sense of togetherness, the feeling of safety and security that comes with being able to have the hard conversations and ask the hard questions. I uh, respect all of you from be, you know, for being here with me today. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.